one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's Shonda, founding host of the Labors of Love podcast, and I'm very excited for the conversation I have with my guest today. Joining me today, I have Shelby Presley. Hi, Shelby. Hello. How are you? I am well, thank you. Excellent. I'm excited. Good. I'm excited as well. So I'm going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? I would say my labor of love is my authenticity. My authenticity. Um, and I chose that answer because I have come to find that um, through the work that I do and just through life that some people don't know where their authenticity lies. Um, and my authenticity is my labor of love because I'm giving, I'm giving the world the best parts of myself in the hopes that it aids them in the things that they learn about themselves to make mm-hmm. themselves a better person. Mm-hmm. So I would say my authenticity. Awesome. So if we were to kind of look back over your life, were there certain moments or incidents or relationships that you had that helped you develop this appreciation for authenticity? Absolutely. Too many to name, to be quite honest. Um, But there are definitely some very pivotal points in my life where authenticity was something that I had to tap into to be able to get through. Um, I often tell people in my coaching because I work as a wellness and life coach. And I often tell people that, you know, you hear, I'll get past this, I'll get over this. And I always stop people and I say, the getting through is how you get to your healing. Right. And so for me, my authenticity was when I had to go through things or that's how I found my authenticity. When I was faced with really difficult things, when I was faced with decisions that I had to make, not knowing what the outcome was going to be, just really trusting and getting through it, I learned valuable lessons to aid me in the next thing. So breakups and decisions to leave my profession as an educator, right? Um, Ending of friendships, um, friendships, new friendships, many different ventures, things that I tried that maybe didn't work out so well. There are many different um, arenas that I've been in, but I would say for me, most recently, that really posed me into living in my authenticity was a really bad breakup I went through at the beginning of the year. Um, You know, like most women, when you go through a breakup, it's not, you know, a good thing. Um, But for me, it was really traumatic because I had been single for so long. And so, you know, you think when you meet somebody, it's going to go well. And it, it was, but the individual decided that, you know, he wasn't ready. Well, I didn't take it that well because I was ready, right? And so I learned that I was not being true to myself and the things that I needed and what I wanted. And it really made me, 
you know, stand 10 toes down in what I want out of this life, not just in my personal life, but professionally for my friendships, you know, and I use relationships interchangeably, but, you know, just from anything, what is it that I want? Because very often I was giving everybody what they wanted or needed, but none of that was being reciprocated, you mm -hmm. know? And so I really had to dig into what was it that Shelby needed? And yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. So it makes me want to pause for a second and let's define authenticity. For sure. As we're using that word, um, as you use it to say, this is how I show up in the world. This is how I love through my authenticity. How would you define the word authenticity? Well, I will define it for me. So I will say authenticity for me is showing up as my best self, however that day looks. Because I think a lot of times we will force ourselves to be at 100% when in reality, we're coasting at like a 52, right? My authenticity is letting, giving myself grace when I'm not okay. And then letting my village, my, my closest people and others know when I'm not okay. Authenticity also for me looks like being reflective and being honest about the things that I've learned and things I haven't learned, mm. right? Because sometimes we fake it till we make it. I don't necessarily do that anymore because never for me to fake something and then really mess up, right? So my authenticity is being honest with myself, giving myself grace, but then also sharing myself, the best versions of myself and the not so good parts of myself. Because in that, that's when you know you have me. That's when you know you have me. You're not gonna get a representative, you're gonna get me in that moment. And that part of me, is my authenticity. It may not come out the way you want it to, but if I'm being authentic, if I'm being real, then you're getting the best version of me at that moment. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would define authenticity. Gotcha. I appreciate that. As yeah. I was listening to you describe that, I, I had to begin to think about how I would define that myself. Yeah. Because I talk about authenticity and transparency very often. And I'm I feel that I might almost use those words interchangeably, though they're not for me. Right. And so I think as I listen to you kind of define it for yourself, one of the things that I think became clear to me is I, I, and let me, I'm trying to determine if this is a fair statement. It feels fair in this moment. Let me, you know, okay, so I'm going to say it. And then if later I'm like, wait a minute, here's another example. I'll come back. <laughs> we can always spin the block. Right. Um, <laughs> um but I, I feel the more authentic I become, the less I actually try to show up as my best self. Mm, yeah. I just show up as myself. You, as you. And so yes. um, I think I spent a lot of time trying to show up as a best self, right. you know, as a person who spent a lot of time 
shape-shifting and people-pleasing um, as a form of social survival, mm-hmm. um, the best was determined by what I felt other people needed. Yeah. And yeah, authenticity, I think I, so much of the definition that you described, I think um, I I would second. When I think about, um, so sometimes when you go to a meal and you get like authentic blank cuisine. Yeah. It's very interesting. I don't know. Sometimes when I grew, I grew up in Detroit and Mexican village is a thing and you would go and get authentic Mexican food. Yeah. It tasted a lot different than Taco Bell. Oh, for sure. And for sure. we ate Taco Bell. That's how I feel Taco about Bell. Italian food. I love my favorite cuisine in life is Italian food. I mean, so much so that you would think I'm from like Sicily. Like I'm, it's, it's wild, right? Mm-hmm. So when I taste different dishes, I'm like, Mm-mm, no, or I'm like, yes, right? And so, you know, and again, going back to what you said, authentic, anybody can slap and say, you know, real Italian food, but once your senses hit it, and that's kind of how I look at myself, once my senses are awakened, how does it taste? How do I hear it? Right? Do I smell it? Because sometimes you can smell some bull. Mm. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like, so your senses begin to tap in. And that's how I look at how I give myself, but also how I receive others. Yeah, that's the 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 senses are an invitation to exploring. You know, what I found though is even as even though I recognized Mexican village food different than Taco Bell and it was authentic Mexican. Even the authentic Mexican tasted different when I went to Mexico. Yeah. And I was sure, eating food in sure. Mexico. And yeah. so there was this way of in my healing recognizing my propensity to shape shift as not something that's bad or I need to leave behind. That's one of my more recent spiritual understandings. It's I'm a reflector. And so I am, I can be different in different places. Yeah. But when authenticity for me is, is less about the presentation and Mm. more about the being. And when we talk about the five senses, that's it. It, It's a way to ground myself into this present moment. Right. And the transparency is kind of the veil I remove to allow people to see it. That part, because, and I love that symbolism. So as we speak, you'll hear me use a lot of symbolism. It's the way that I interpret information and how I give it out. But I love that you utilize that symbolism because it is like a veil. It very much is a veil because depending on how high I lift that veil is in the moment, how much of me you're going to get. You know, so mm-hmm. for me right now, my veil is completely up speaking with you. When we first met at the conference, my veil was open a little bit, just enough to say the like your presentation was dope and I wanted to connect. But again, I am also in the process because everything is a process. I am also in process of learning what that looks like for me as I feel it, because you got to feel it out. And as I said earlier, not every moment's going to be at 100%. You know, I, w- I would be literally lying through my teeth if I said that every time I walk into a room, I'm 10 toes down and talk. No, I'm not. I'm not. 
because my senses have to be awakened in that environment to be able to do so. Yeah. And once I know that, then that veil, as you mentioned, gets lifted a little higher, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, in the conversation, it's part of authenticity for me has also been, well, let me start with how it was. There was always, I feel, um, a striving towards something Yeah, in a way that I needed to present or give or be present or show up. And I've spent a lot of my life um, as a very high performer, really across whatever, whatever, whatever I was doing, I was pretty much a high performer in that regard. And I do realize that high performance seeds and expectation that people For begin sure. to expect For sure. know, whatever that is. And what I feel, what feels really nice and why I equate authenticity to freedom and liberation um, is when folks can start to understand themselves and stand firmly in who they are, because I recognize that a person can start to see and understand who they are, but that doesn't mean that they want to embody who they are in that yeah. space. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about how I'm experiencing authenticity is it it really does feel like a you get what you get in this moment. That part. <laughs> and yeah. it's void of pressure from other people's expectations. Yeah. It doesn't mean people are not going to have the expectations because we have expectations as yeah. people. And the longer we've been in relationship with someone or some entity, the more refined those expectations be able begin to come because of constant interaction. But it's something about being able to just show up in a space, in a moment, and just be in that moment. And it it is what it is in this moment. And I recognize that for some people, that's going to be amazing. I'll go back to where we met. Shelby and I met, I did, um, a keynote for a a conference or summit that was intentioning to bridge the gap between mental health and the church, more specifically the black church. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, I speak both languages. I speak mental health and I speak church. And so, um, yeah, being able to go. And what I really appreciate about how I show up in settings now is it was, it, it was what it was. And Outside of the awareness that I I wanted to make sure that I translated between those two languages of mental health and and church, what people saw was what they would see if they came home with me and I was talking to them on a Tuesday afternoon or which I appreciated my so family, much, right? Yeah, and so there is something about living in authenticity. Yeah, that I think one builds up to. I used to have moments of authenticity yes. and I would know when I was having those moments, usually when I was with people who felt safe, mm-hmm. maybe their expectations aligned with what I was willing to give. And so I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can be authentic in this moment. And there were certainly times where how I was feeling in the moment didn't feel safe enough to reveal. That yeah. still happened. Absolutely. I just, I, I feel like, ha- and part of the conversation of authenticity is letting people know that part of being authentic is when you ain't got it today. Right. Or I, I don't have it to give. I am tapped out and yeah. so much so tapped out that if you were, I consider myself like a well, if you were to dip that cup in the well, 
you ain't getting nothing. I have, I don't have it to give, <laughs> right? And being authentic is saying that. And it's interesting that you brought up the different spaces where authenticity can arise. I've come to find that the one place that we are truly the least authentic is usually in our professional lives, especially if you are coming from like the corporate setting. And that is because there's an expectation of you to always be a high performer and anything that shows humanity, right? Anything that shows that you cannot meet a deadline Either the expectation you put on yourselves or the expectation of those you work with, somehow automatically you're deemed as not being a team player or you're insubordinate or whatever. I mean, there's a, a, a plethora of different, you know, words that can be used. And I really think I, I am truly under the belief that as, as horrible as the pandemic was, I always call and have called, um, you know, 2020 the year of sight because it opened up our eyes to some things that we didn't want to see, particularly in ourselves, right? And so much so that we had to take a step back. And for a lot of people, it was the inauthenticity from the workplace and how horrible we were being to ourselves, right? So, you know, I, I always say to people, you know, Think of Tom, the accountant. Tom, the accountant has been killing it for 15 years. He's the best friggin' accountant. He always meets deadlines. Everybody goes to him tax time, but his wife and his kids hate him. He's a horrible communicator. He brings a stress home. His wife is like, you know, what am I doing here? And that's because he has not ever been able to be authentic at work somehow the lines got blurred that once you go into the workplace, your humanity goes away. Mm -hmm. And that is not the case. And often what I teach about, um, and I'll go into this, but one of the main things I teach about, especially to leadership or those in management is when you bring on staff members, when you bring on new people, you're not just hiring for the professional, you're hiring the totality of the person. And that means that you're getting to know this person, the way that they learn, because not everybody learns the same way, right? And being open to how they interpret information, but also how they give it out and also checking yourself too. How are you, do you give positive reinforcement? Do you, you know... Um, praise them in the way that they need to be praised, right? Kind of going off of the five love languages, because you can use that in the workplace too. But also understanding that people have families, people have relationships, right? It doesn't mean you have to, you know, be your colleagues or your boss's best friend, but there's this idea, this idealism that, you know, you cut off yourself in the business world. And that's just not the case. And so I've come to find, and I'm a nerd, so I've done research on this, but um, the one place where authenticity is really non-existent, you think it is, but it's not, is in the workplace, whether that be, you know, in your own business, because you're trying to gain clients um, or, you know, get a deal or in the corporate setting. 
and I can speak to that personally. I was not authentic, authentic when I was teaching. I come from the education field, the education background. And it was just enough to do the job. But me, the other pillars of wellness, my, my social, my intellectual, my emotional were faltering. Yeah. Right. And so I had to tap into that. I had to tap into why. You know, so much of I can appreciate so much of what you've said. When I do work with organizations, government, schools, and districts and corporations, it's very interesting for me because on one hand, um I I <laughs> on on one hand I say I should never be without work because <laughs> at the at the at the root of what I do is I help people be human with other humans and help them understand how their brains and bodies work. On the other hand, I also understand why sometimes I don't have the work. Yeah. Because going in, sometimes there's this um this push. It's this will align with why I don't diagnose as a therapist. So even as work that I do as a coach there's sometimes this kind of, hey, we're going to bring in executive coaches, we're going to bring in corporate, coach. we're going to bring in these coaches to help the individuals to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I come in and I say, so before we start trying to, quote, unquote, help the individuals, what's the organization about to do? That. Because teaching an individual to be authentic in a space that is dangerous to be authentic for me mm. is negligent. Yeah. And so being able to help people understand that you are not in conflict with your supervisor mm -hmm. you're in conflict with capitalism mm. and when you understand that the conflict is capitalism and that oftentimes our supervisors are agents of capitalism whether they see it that way or not right. those boundaries that are hard to put in place with an individual that you've known for 10 years and that you like and you've had dinner with and you spent holidays with becomes easier because that person is still an agent of the system that part you're yes. putting your boundaries in place for the system not yeah. the person not the person and, you know we go and we say authenticity is in part is being able to say I don't have it today authenticity is also saying I got it in spades and you still ain't getting it and you're still not because not I don't have and you can't reciprocate it because here's the thing too some people do get it but they are not versed in how to reciprocate it right because it is my belief that even when you tell somebody where they're lacking, a lot of times it's a choice. Are they choosing to take this information that you've given, whether it's constructive, whether it's, you know, just horrible, whatever it is. Are you choosing to take this information that I've imparted on you, right? Do your due diligence of dissecting it and utilizing it in any way to make you better. That's a choice. Some people choose to toss it over the shoulder, right? Put it on the shelf. Some do their due diligence and like actually using it to become better. So when you speak about, you know, the capitalism part of it, it's been my scenery, my senses that some people do know they just choose not to utilize it in the correct way, right? Because that would equate to accountability, which is another one of my favorite A words, right? Um, Nobody wants to take accountability because accountability things means that you have to look at your own emotional window, right? You got to take some, you know, be reflective and 
some people's emotional windows, some people's windows are super cloudy, right? They, it needs Windex and they're choosing not to clean it because that would mean that they would maybe see some things about themselves that they don't like. And when that happens, then clutch pearls, I don't want to do that. Mm. That means work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've had some experiences. And just to clarify, when I was saying I got it, but you're not getting it, I I'm also mean how sometimes we ain't, like you said, we ain't got it. The well right. is empty. And part of showing up authentically is saying, y'all, my well is at like 20% right now. Right. I I just don't have it to give yeah. and, and being okay with that. Yeah. I just want to reiterate that what it has looked like for me now is saying, no, my well is at a hundred and I'm still choosing not mm. to give to you not to give what I have you. because yeah. that's part of my authenticity. That's part of where I am right now. That's your reservation. And, and that, that's your that's, reservation. Yeah. That's this newer thing for me to go, you know, so much conditioning through so many things, whether it yeah. be through the church, through conditioning as a woman, as a black woman, so many things is you give like you are a giver. You are, you, your purpose is to give. And there is something about recognizing that um, agency and choice around when and to whom I give Mm. is something that's very valuable and important. But to your point, what's interesting is as I, as I continue to expand doing liberatory coaching, there is definitely resistance that I have historically felt going into places, particularly with leadership. And I think some, some brands of coaching have been successful in the corporate world by selling, let's pour into your people so they can be more productive. Right. And so productivity still, um, uh, one of the main products of capitalism is used to get in. What's interesting is folks who often are, I have found who are resistant to seeing this stuff and doing the work are folks who have actually, one, never come in contact with these as concepts that were meant for them. That were meant for them. That were applicable to them, that they could actually live in. The the challenge I got to tell people, and I say it all the time, I ain't saying quit your job, but I'm not not saying quit your job. But what I am saying is I can't pay your bills. What that I am part. saying is let's, yes. Take, yes. let's take this information and what what does it mean, right? Some people don't have the luxury. And, and I want to also be clear. I try to say it every time I start talking about capitalism. Capitalism is how I own a business. Yeah, right. So Same. In, Same. In, yeah. in, yeah, like it's not when it becomes exploitive, when it's racialized, all of these things, that that is what I'm talking about, how we're experiencing it now. There are many folks who can't just decide, I'm not going to participate. I'm one of them. I participate in capitalism daily. Yeah. Um, as a consumer, as a bit, all those things. But when people begin to understand that they have a nervous system, mm. And people don't know that. I mean, did you learn it in school? No, not really. No, no. When people, I can tell you as an educator, that was not in my syllabus. No, (laughs) that is not in it. Yeah, no, for sure. And then they don't teach educators that they have a nervous system. And when they're standing in a classroom with 25 children, there are 26 nervous systems that are co-regulating and co-dysregulating with each other the whole time. If our educators who are educating the people who will go on to be the people running the world don't know it, 
we don't know it. So when I go in and I'm able to do soul hugs is what they're called for folks. It's about, Hey, you know, we're, it's not about problem solving. It's about respite for your nervous system. We Mm, spend 90 minutes together and all of a sudden people have never, because the job is paying for it. Yeah. Doing it while you're quote unquote working. And they're like, I, I've really never just experienced being able to show up. And what it does is when I lead with authenticity Mm -hmm. and pull the veil back and allow people to see that it is permission giving. What it doesn't do though, is it doesn't force people into authenticity. It allows them to see someone who's living authentically through navigating the systems who lives in the body that I live in, but still can relate to people. And all of a sudden, authenticity becomes something that people are going huh yeah may maybe it's not as bad as I thought because so many of us have been conditioned you leave your problems at home you leave all that at the door now you take everything from work home but don't bring the stuff from don't bring that yes work yes it begins to show how relieving it can be to the nervous system when we just stop f- having the internal fights all day long. All day long, and yeah. And when they see that, that resistance, I'm not saying it completely goes away, but then they realize that they're, they don't have to resist themselves yeah. and their nervous systems in order to bring moments of peace and joy and fulfillment. Absolutely. That will surpass productivity. You hit on something so dynamic. And I think that is, you stated it allows people to see what being authentic looks like. But I think it also gives an aha moment, a remembrance of what it feels like to be authentic, right? Because some people do know what it feels like because they're that way at home, but they have to cut it off when they get to work or when they're around certain groups of people. Right. So, you know, also, I think another reason why some people have cut themselves off from their authenticity is traumatic experiences, you know, um, trauma. If you have built up walls and barriers around yourself because the moment or the time in your life where you were authentic and it didn't work out for you or something happened, right? You remember that. So you build that wall up. And so you're never going to let that part of yourself show up again. And so that's what I mean about the remembrance of how good it feels to release and just be yourself, whoever self is in that moment. You know, I met with earlier this year, um, like I said, I had a really tough time the beginning of this year. And um, I the life coach has a therapist. I have my own therapist. And uh, one of the things she's always taught me, um, and she calls them doors for every traumatic experience I've ever been through from childhood, from inception till now, I have packed things away in doors, right? Like closets, because I've been super resilient. But the thing with resiliency, as I was taught, because I was diagnosed with PTSD this year, what I was taught was that because I'm so resilient, I never processed. Mm. It was just, mm-hmm. okay, I went through this, boom, I'm on to the next thing, right? I never allowed myself to be in the moment, um, 
feel my feels, really acknowledge what was going on. It was just, you know, got to get to the next thing. And so that resiliency has made me super successful, right? On paper, I'm resilient AF, but I never processed and I stored everything away in my doors. And as I was told by this wonderful psychiatrist this year is that when those doors bust open, they typically do in the most inopportune times. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me. And so in real time, I had to then begin to journey these different traumatic things, the different walls I had built up, not even remembering why and when, because it was so freaking long ago, mm-hmm. right? So now I'm in real time, relearning new things, reparenting myself, right? From, from childhood trauma, but then also to learning that that authenticity was there, but my trauma made it high, mm-hmm. right? And so that was like mind blown, because I never thought about it in that way. Like when I was speaking to this psychiatrist, he goes, you know, Shelby, you are literally one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. He was like, you should really be in my seat. He's like, you know, all the words, you know, all the things. He was like, dig, here's the thing. You never processed anything. You never processed anything. I never allowed myself one. It wasn't taught to me. You brought that up. We're not taught you know, emotional regulation, self, like we're not taught that this isn't something that's a course, right? But I was taught to get through some stuff and get onto the next thing because especially in the black community, life goes on, Mm. right? And as a woman of color, as a black woman, generationally, we've had to find strength some way, somehow, whether that was through church whether that was through, you know, our own village. And we were never able to process truly how we felt. Yeah, you bring up so many excellent points that when I work with folks and I try to help people understand that the trauma that we, the relational trauma, the developmental trauma, all of the trauma that we're aiming to heal didn't necessarily register as trauma while we were going through it. Absolutely not. And so we go, well, that was just life. Yeah. I actually believe that as people are seeking authenticity, it's not some one, it's not something that's outside of us and it's not something we have to become. It's really something we have to reclaim. Right. And some of the most authentic people on the face of this earth are also, in some ways, I feel the most despised mm. and and the most censored and the most oppressed. And that's children. Yeah. Children yeah. come authentic. And so when you say, well, I never processed, I want to clarify when I use process, I know people talk process. It is very important for us to process the things that we go through. I just don't want people to think that process means think about. Or no, even- no. Yeah. So process means yeah. allow that to work through your body. So yeah. that that infant, that that newborn who has a need expresses that need very right. often unless there is a medical or perhaps neurological um, challenge that prevents them from doing so, crying, flailing their bodies. Children come 
authentic. When they have a need, sure. they don't go, mm, I wonder if this is going to be inconvenient yeah. for the yeah. adults around. Nope, they just do it. And as we look at toddlers go around, they have an inherent need for curiosity. So they start touching and they start licking and they start yeah. doing all this stuff and they're yeah. trying to learn. And when they're disappointed, you know, they're disappointed. And when yeah. they're experiencing joy, you know, they're experiencing Absolutely. joy. And what happens so quickly in their little lives, in our little lives, is we are being pumped and primed for capitalism mm -hmm. from the moment we're born. And yeah. so when you go somewhere in public with this newborn or this this infant and all of a sudden now we have to go oh the freedom to 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 eat from their mother's breast yeah it's yeah. like oh wait it's now now, it's, now oh, i gotta okay. yeah. gotta cover it up gotta be yeah. hot now yeah. their desire or their expression of their desires and their needs need to be more quiet yeah. when we're in, in the different place. So we really are conditioned out of our authenticity as we're being reared. Yeah. You know, people say, well, there's a time and a place. And I hear that. But who determines the time and who the place? The that. systems do. Right. Yeah. And so when uh, so many of us moved on a healing journey, how we arrive at authenticity is actually going back and going, well, who was I before the rules? Yeah. And how did I show up without the fingerprints and the expectations yeah. that were to serve other people? Yeah. Children go to school. Maybe it's public school. Maybe it's a private school. Maybe it's homeschooled. But definitely when you go into structured education, okay expectations change, but they don't necessarily change based on the developmental needs and abilities of the child. Because right. if they did, you wouldn't have first graders sitting at desks for seven hours a day. Absolutely. So, like yeah. if we truly yeah. understood yeah. the biological yeah. needs of the human, of the human body and the human needs, even when they're in small children, how we educate, we educate to feed the system. Right. And right. it works. Not the individual, not the individual. It's, 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 if you find authenticity in the classroom and I pride myself on having that when I was in the classroom, but I often found that again, it was very difficult because I always had to be held to a standard. All educators are right. Cause you got to hit those boxes, right. You can hit those check marks per, per, you know, quarter. When you think of the individual, that individual student, that that individual, this whole person, this whole individual, right, with a whole set of needs, they themselves are not able to become authentic because if they were, then if they had a prior suspension where they were just, you know, speaking or fidgety or whatever, then that discipline would have never happened because that adult, that person that was educating that child would have understood that they are being authentic in who they are in the moment by fidgeting, right? By speaking out, by doing whatever. But because we, like you said, we've been conditioned to not be that person in this particular sector, then it goes away. And so you have to remember who you were before 
either society told you verbally or through nonverbal cues that it was not okay to do this. And I love what you said about the baby, you know, drinking milk from the mother's breast. Even in that, this small little being, they're learning that me just simply eating, which is my human right, is now bad or somehow demonized because I can't do it here. I got to be covered up. I got to be hot. Right. My mother's not comfortable, which means I'm probably not getting my full nutrients. Mm -hmm. Right. So all these different things. Who were we before society or whoever told us that it wasn't okay? Exactly. And I know a lot of people will say, well, I don't remember a lot of my childhood. I get that a lot. I don't remember. And what I want to tell folks is you do. You lack autobiographical recall. Mm. meaning the who the where the what the timing you know the details of that feel elusive like I can't recall certain things from my childhood there are a lot of blanks but I want to assure people that every experience you've ever had lives in your body oh absolutely and it doesn't go away books is the body keeps score Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you've read it or heard of it but yeah Bessel van der Kolk's the body keeps the score um, is it is a really good book to help people understand that our body holds the memory. So trauma is not actually a bad memory. It's a body memory. It's a body. Memory. And when you recall, so the process of recalling for folks um, or remembering is getting connected to our bodies and settling yeah. into our nervous systems, knowing our window of tolerance, knowing how to expand our window of tolerance all of a sudden things start to come up. I just want to encourage folks when this starts to happen, how quickly we are to dismiss things. So people yeah. will say, that was so weird. All of, I, I, I smelled strawberry jelly. That was so weird. Let me move on. Don't discount anything. I folks who are like, okay, okay, y'all sold me. Maybe I want to try this authentic thing. Mm-hmm. One of the things I highly recommend, keep a little notebook near you. Maybe it's a voice recorder. It could be on your electronic device. But when those quote unquote random things start to pop up, record them, write yeah. it down, leave yourself a message, uh, whatever that is, because these are, you know, as Shelby was talking about how things get pushed into those closets. Well, as we start to heal, as we start to regulate, as we start to find community with folks who can reflect us and be safe places, then the first step is like the the closet gets unlocked. Yeah. And then maybe the handle turns. And and it's not necessarily some people have so much fear that the doors, all doors are going to swing open at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) Going to rush out and you're going to get. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. But sometimes it'll just leak something underneath the door and it's the smell of that spark strawberry jelly or this song. I don't even know what song it is. I just like I don't even know why I feel this way or why I get super anxious when I hear this song or, you know, I didn't remember my memories. It's interesting when memories replay. And I was sharing with my, my own therapist, my memories replay again, I'm an eighties, nineties kid. So I grew up on VHS. My memories often replay like a VHS tape, Mm -hmm. right? Kind of like, you know, be kind, please rewind. That's how my stuff rocks out. And I'll never forget I remembered something from my childhood. I was literally in the shower and it was playing in my head like a VHS tape. And I started bawling 
I literally started bawling and I was like, yo, what, what? So it took me a couple of days and then it hit me. It was the moment in my childhood where I had shared something that was super important to me. Again, this was like 30 some odd years ago, but I had shared something as a little person around all these big people because as a little person, you don't know what you know, you just know. And it is my personal belief that everyone has intuition, right? Some, some are stronger than others, but I believe children, as you said, come here, these little beings, these little people with all the intuition, right? With all the knowing. And I shared something with my big people and it was dismissed. I mean, completely dismissed. And I packed it away. And when I remembered it, because I hadn't thought about it, it made me remember in that moment where my silence came from, mm -hmm. sharing really big things, right? So in that moment, I learned that even though it was a big day, right? I think it was like I got awards or something, right? Because again, you know, I'm a nerd. I, I get awards. I got like the citizenship award, the A and B honor roll. But I shared it with my big people. And what I was expecting as a little person, some type of hug, congratulations, adoration, non-existent. So in that moment, I learned that my big, my importance was not important to them. So I no longer shared it. Mm -hmm. And it's super important for people to understand that those moments are very impactful. For sure. And as children, particularly children under the age of seven, we're very concrete in nature. Yeah. So one thing happening means this is how the world works. Oh, There's yeah. no cognitive capacity for abstract thought or general, you know, or, or being able to go, oh, this was just this person. So not only are those moments impactful, but it's also important for people to understand that when something comes up, you might not have the VHS recording right. come and play out for you. It will be a context, it will be a context less emotion that comes up or thought that comes up. And my encouragement for people not to just go, oh, that was stray. Or where did that come from? Even if we can, um, we want to be curious about it, but I encourage people to not ask why. Mm. because why makes us naturally defensive yeah it, it sparks something in us the why why you do that and all of a sudden we feel like we have to defend you have Even to defend with ourselves yeah. instead of going why did I think that some words that I like is I wonder two yeah. words that can open up so much I wonder what that was about don't let it go maybe just write it down I say I have a junk drawer a thought, a sense comes up and I go, hmm, that's interesting. And I put it in that junk drawer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm confident that <clears throat> somewhere down the line, something that's connected to it, it's like gathering a bunch of puzzle pieces and it's Absolutely. a million piece puzzle. And that smell or that thought was just one piece, but it's not insignificant because I don't even like puzzles in the, the traditional jigsaw puzzle. But I know I have seen people get down to completion and they're missing one piece. And oh. I have witnessed the frustration and, the, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, my goodness. So yeah. don't throw any of it away. You don't want to get to the end 
and go, oh, shoot, I should have kept that piece. It also doesn't have to be all consuming, though. We don't have to sit and perseverate over it. Just absolutely not. I believe that's the worst thing you can do. That's probably the worst that that's that I think that's an awful idea. You know, when people talk about healing, I think that there's this misconception that it means, you know, you got to sit in a place and think about like all the horrible stuff that's happened to you. No, let it come when it comes, because it will if you allow it to. And if you're open to that discovery, but to sit um, and, and really just try to navigate everything that's happened in the last 20, 30 some odd years, I think is the worst idea. I think that's a, I think that's a horrible idea because you're not allowing yourself to be present. I think healing means being present, but also allowing yourself to remember, to be reflective. Your reflection can help you in your present and and also in your future. But just living in the reflection state, you're not being present. You're, you're wasting your valuable time thinking about something that has already happened. It's past tense. It's already happened. But what are you doing now? Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of it. What are you doing now? Because again, when you know better, you do better. Yeah. Right. So it's important for folks to also understand that when, when these things do come up, when you are having a reflective moment and thinking about it, the brain doesn't know the difference between history, imagination and reality. And so if you do find yourself thinking of something that has happened in the past, it is going to mobilize your body as if it's happening right now. Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing about trauma recovery is being able to create the capacity for people to sit with those things inside of their body and recognize that though the body gets activated, we can regulate it to let it know that it's not happening right now. Right now. Because what's being dispatched is the body going, we got to survive it again. Yeah. And so in that moment that I really love that about being able to create recovery spaces for folks, because especially relationally, because we didn't been through this day in so many different times. But when we can be present with that thing that happened two years ago is not happening right now, even though it might sound similar, yeah. how can we presence in the moment? So yeah, definitely being present. But I want to provide an opportunity for you, Shelby, to talk more specifically about how this labor of love of showing up authentic- authentically shows up in the work that you do. Um, on a regular basis. For sure. So kind of like I alluded to, you know, being a being a little person, you entrust your life to big people. Well, unfortunately, a lot of the big people in my life had made horrible decisions and it impacted me. And it caused me to be someone that I knew wasn't authentically me. It wasn't, you know, because you have your natural state and your adaptive state, right? My adaptive state was being resilient and going for it and, you know, not letting anything hold me back. But in reality, it was because I was always in fear. I was in fear of what somebody was going to say. I was in fear if I wasn't good enough. I was in fear that, you know, I, if I didn't do well, somehow it would, you know, turn folks against me. It, it, I just had all these different thoughts. And I oftentimes tell people that I feel like in my almost 38 years of life, I've been 10 different me's. 
I've been 10 different Shelby's. This Shelby, the one present day right now is my favorite because she shows up how she shows up. And the work that I do, I encourage people to do the same. I, I have learned to advocate for myself because I so often wasn't advocated for. So I've had to learn how to advocate for myself professionally and personally, um, but also being a voice for specifically women of color because traditionally, generationally, we're the most unheard. And I want to always take what I've learned and impart that with the very, the very way that I wish someone would have parted it on me. So when I'm coaching someone or when I'm in a coaching session with someone, I let them know kind of to you, kind of like you said earlier, that this is a safe space, right? This is a safe space. I will never tell you that you're wrong. I will share with you, maybe you can think about it this way. Because I think a lot of times, even in my own life, I wasn't given that opportunity to think in a new way. It was just, it was what it was. Boundaries weren't a thing. I didn't grow up with boundaries. I didn't learn what a boundary was till three years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Learning about boundaries, learning about my well, keeping my reservation for myself, learning that it's okay to be in process and not have everything figured out has allowed me to be my most authentic self. And that's what I take into the work that I do through my one-on-one -on -one coaching, through my presentations and my workshops. Um, I've done workshops on, again, boundaries. Um, I've done workshops on how to be abundant through healing, that you can still have abundance in your life while you're healing, right? Um, that healing doesn't have to be scary. My work truly, I believe, is what I'm here for. And now I think oftentimes we wonder like, what is my purpose? What am I here for? And then I always kind of go to, you know, your, your gifts will make room for you. And I feel like my gift is my authenticity, the things that I have been through to be able to help others become the best version of themselves, whatever that pans out to be. Mm. that's what I feel like my gift is. And so for folks who are intrigued by how they might get in touch with you or how they can find you, how yeah. can folks uh, find you in your work? So the best way is my website. So my website is ever evolving wellness. So ever and then evolving in wellness um, dot squarespace dot com. And for those that may be wondering why I chose the word or the title ever evolving, it's because that we as humans, we're always evolving. Who you are today isn't who you're going to be tomorrow, right? Who you are, you know, next week isn't who you're going to be six months from now. Because again, when you learn new things, it's with the idea that you're going to take that and do something different. So ever evolving wellness. Um, and that, so that's the best place to find me. Um, I am on Instagram. So my handle on Instagram is honeybee1018 and also my email. Um, but for those that really want to maybe come to a workshop or maybe 
they're in leadership and they're like, you know what? I really do want my team to know about professional boundaries because they have absolutely none. The best place to get in touch with me is the website for sure. Awesome. So we will definitely make sure that we have all that information in the show notes. Y'all know it'll be there. Um, And so Shelby, I want to thank you so much for joining and sharing today. Is there anything I didn't ask um, that you wanted to make sure you got a chance to say or any parting words um, for the listeners before we finish up? I think a parting word I want to share with the listeners is, is that everything that you feel like you don't have is already in you. You just haven't tapped into it yet. It is my belief that when we enter this earthly plane, everything we have is already in us. And somewhere along the way, we either forgot it, lost it, put it on a shelf, wherever. But everything you need, everything that you desire, everything that you want to do is already in you. You just got to tap in. You just need to tap in and know that it is okay to give yourself grace as you're learning that new version of yourself. You're going to lose some people along the way, but that's okay because those that understand and that want to see you become the greatest you will rock with you. Thank you so much. And so, yes, thank you for taking the time to have this robust discussion um, with me for the listeners to really talk and lean into our authenticity and all the ways that that can show up. Um, I want to encourage folks who are listening, just get curious about your own authenticity um, and things. I want to give all of my shout outs, y'all. Though she's not part of this episode, I want to give a shout out to my co-host, Hedy Nam, my producer, Jay Sugg, and Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast. Shout out to Stephanie J. Spencer, who's making sure that the social media is getting to people wide and far. And of course, you, my listeners, I thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. Uh, Don't forget if you have suggestions for content or guests, you can find that on my website, a form you can fill out on my website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget that we have our YouTube over, um, yeah, our YouTube page where it's going to have a lot of our videos and things like that. And yeah, until we connect again, y'all, you all be well.